right, welcome to the Love Shared Podcast, the show that explores how God is moving in the community of the River Church in Redlands. Uh, we are on episode... <laughs> Thank you, Nick. We are on episode eight tonight. Uh, we're going to talk with Yvonne Cesario. She and her hus- husband have a, uh, a dental practice here in Redlands, and uh, their their family has been part of the Redlands Christian School community for many years, and they recently started coming to worship with us at the river. I know I don't know about you, Nick, but uh, we've taken our kids to see Dr. Cesario for their first visit to the dentist. Uh, that's where we took our kids. And Yvonne has a dramatic and, and at times traumatic life story. Uh, we'll probably talk a little bit about, about that and we'll talk about how parenting changes you and your relationship with God. Specifically, maybe how Yvonne's daughter, who lives with some pretty strong physical and mental disabilities, has truly changed her, her perspective on, on the world around her and, and living life. Uh, but first, Let's introduce our podcast hosts. Nick Intout brushes and flosses three times a day, but because it's not because he's so keen on healthy teeth and gums. It's it's really because he's still waiting for that last baby tooth to come out so he can get a quarter. <laughs> oh, it's good. Terry Heemstra is not with us tonight because, in her words, she needed a nickation, a ni- nickation, a nickation. It's like vacation only from Nick. And my name is Mark Leonard, and I think that most of what Nick says is usually just to impress his wife. Welcome, everyone. Welcome, Yvonne. Thanks for being here with us tonight and uh, goofing around with us tonight, (laughs) putting up with us. Thanks for having me. You bet. All right. So, Nick, you had something that you wanted to start the conversation with. Go for it. Okay. So, a few minutes ago... Uh, in our little pre-game warm-up, just running through Google Hangout, making sure it's working. You're going to bring this up, aren't you? Yeah. This, You're going to make me do this. This is a little section I want to call Confessions. You're going to make me... Oh, man. And I, I think I'll start, and then, Mark, you can go next. And, Yvonne, since you're our guest, you don't have to participate in this. Uh, but here's my confession. Really? We're not going to make the guests participate? If, if she would like to, I think she can. But <laughs> we want to be, you know, hospitable. So, Mike, oh, kind of this. I, ever since I was a kid, um, the dentist, apart from Disneyland, is my least favorite place in the world. Um, because I always, always get bad news there. I, I once had nine cavities on a visit. And then, you know... I had to go back one time, and they numbed this whole side of my face, and the next time, and they numbed this whole side of my face. And so my confession is that, um, Yvonne, there's nothing between us. Uh, you know, thankfully, that's all been paid for by the blood of Christ. And um, I think we can be brothers and sisters, um, despite my fear and um it's not you, it's me. Okay? <laughs> it's not your husband, not John. It's it's my stuff. It's my bag. So there's nothing between us. I just want to clear the air from the get-go here. So I know Mark has a, a confession that's probably a little more serious than mine. So, Mark, I'll, I'll hand it over to you for, for your confession. Yeah, well, happily, since uh, the Cesarios are our family dentist, yeah, when we... When we got on uh, on board here on Google Hangout, Yvonne called me out right away and said, you know, I noticed uh, I was looking through the files and uh, I haven't seen your name come up in a while. And it's true. It's true. I have not been to the dentist for some time. So, but I, I send my wife and kids. Does that count? <laughs> when, um, is it for you a fear or just mostly... Um, kind of negligence. It's mostly negligence and laziness and thinking that I'm fine. I don't need to go, which is a bad idea. Yvonne, what when you have a, a, a patient who has that kind of attitude, maybe kind of flippant and irresponsible, 
Are you calling me flippant and irresponsible? I'm saying you're acting like that, yeah. Uh, what What's your, you know, professionally, how do you handle someone like that who you know probably needs a visit because they're, I, I might brush, you know, or floss two or three times a day. I can guarantee you Mark Leonard isn't doing that. You can't uh, guarantee that. Well, I've had breakfast with you, and I for <laughs> that breakfast. So. What what do you what do you try to do with someone like Mark Ivana? Is there hope for him? I mean, there there is hope for him. Um, you know, I mean, if he can come in once a year, you know, at least, <laughs> at least. I mean, come on. Lenny, oh, <laughs> I appreciate that. Jeez. Lower the bar to one. <laughs> you at least do that. That's all. Oh. Dr. Cesario is so good that if you just give him once a year, he'll work magic with your mangling teeth. You know what? <laughs> We're going to need to start screening these guests a little better. I think. <laughs> oh, good. yeah. Confession. Yvonne, do you, I mean, you, you don't have to. If you want to, like, drop a confession for Mark or, or for me, uh, you're welcome to, but I don't want you to feel like you have to partake in the confessions section. It is a new section. Yeah, I think I'm going to be doing a lot of that um, coming um, up here. So yeah. I, I've never put myself out there, and um, I'm a little nervous about doing that. So, yeah. Good. Well, we'll wait for your <laughs> confessions then in a little bit. Very good. All right, Yvonne. I I know that uh, Nick sent out sort of um, kind of your testimony, your story, where you came from. Um, could you could you just kind of walk through maybe a little bit of some of the the highlights and the lowlights of your life experiences and how they have shaped you so far? Let, Lenny, let me jump in here. Sorry. I, I do this all the time to Yvonne, where if he says something, then I'm like, hey, scratch that. There was a lot of dead space in there, Nick. I was just kind of, I was waiting for you to jump in, and then you sitting there. Let me say this. Let me say this. I, um, about a month ago, we started our Exploring Members group, and uh, John and Yvonne are a part of that. And one of the things that we do in there is kind of share our stories. And this two weeks ago, um, Yvonne uh, volunteered to kind of share her story. I didn't know it, any of it, um, and I don't think anybody other than John really did either in, our, in the room. And we were very moved by her testimony um, and what she had shared. I mean, there were people in the room that uh, we were passing around the Kleenexes, let's just say that. Uh, so we were, we were very moved. And felt like that moment was a really special one, and Yvonne had taken a lot of time and thought and put into what she was going to say and how she was going to say it. So following that, you know, I said, hey, I, I would love for you to um, share and maybe even go a little bit deeper on a few of these things um, with other folks from the river um, or maybe even your friends that might be listening. So that was kind of uh, the impetus for Yvonne being on this this hangout was her sharing that story in that in that room at the river, and uh, and you know us being very inspired by what she had shared. So I said, um, Yvonne, if you could maybe start out uh, with sharing a little bit about like your your upbringing and mm -hmm. some some of that um, you called it in your testimony like you saw a lot of ugliness. Um, just in terms of like where you lived and some of the stuff that went on with your family. Um, and then there's there's some redemption there, but we'll get to that in a minute. What was some of like just the ugliness? Help it like set the stage for some of the good stuff that God did. What was some of that like ugliness that you described in your, in your testimony? Well, um, you know, my mom and dad were, um, were married and we lived in Northern California. And um, we, they ended up divorcing, and um, my mom had six children and pregnant with one. Um, so she moved 
to um, Colton, California, and where we lived with our aunt for a little bit. And of course, the house was a little small for all of us, plus her two kids. So we um, we ended up moving into um, the Colton Community Homes, which is uh, low-income housing, and um, we lived there for about three years. So. Um, uh, um, living there was, um, I was very fearful. I was probably seven years old um, when we did move there. I was about kindergarten, first grade. I had is a lot this, of insecurities. Is this, in the, is this in the 60s, the 70s? This was 71, I believe. It was about seven, 1971. Okay. And, um, you know, I felt unsafe. I didn't have a father figure. Um, my mom was just trying to, you know, survive. We, of course, were getting um, housing assistance, and we received food assistance. And um, but we never really felt like the kids and I, my brothers and sisters, never really felt like we were without. You know, we had the love of each other. And um, but we knew that, you know, my mom would cry on Christmas, and you know, she couldn't afford this and that. And but you know, we had each other, so. It really didn't matter. Um, my, my mom made sure we were we were taken care of the best that she could. So and, you, um, you grow up like right now. I mean, I I've been to uh, your neighborhood now, and you live adjacent to like the Slockters, right around the corner from uh, a number of families from church. Um, that was not at all how how you grew up. No, not at all. Not at all. Um, we finally moved from from there um, after a, a huge riot, and there were guns firing and into our housing development. And um, was that just a one night event? Uh, the uh, the rioting. Yeah, or, when, I, when I read that in your in your testimony, I was I was wondering was that multiple nights? Was that was that this like was the probably, last car? This was probably you know. The only thing that I can remember, it could have been a one-time thing. It could, you know, um, it's just the last memory that I have before we moved away, before we moved out of that complex. Um, yeah. So. So then you move, and what happens with your family? Like, what's some of the changes that? So, um, you know, my mom married, she remarried um, to my stepfather, who was verbally abusive. Um, um, you know, we, my mom still made sure that we attended church every Sunday. Um, he was, he wasn't a nurturing uh, man. Um, we were actually afraid of him, and um, my mom drank a lot. Um, she was an alcoholic, and um, she and my father, my stepfather, you know, they fought constantly. Um, so it, it just wasn't a good environment um, for any of us. Um, but we, you know, I, I, my mom chose this person, and, um, you know, we just kind of lived through it. Um, and out of uh, the seven of us, you know, most of my brothers and sisters were eventually kicked out of the house before the age of 18. Um, I was still in school, and I wasn't able to participate in any school activities or, you know, um, I had to come home, I had to clean, I had to make dinner. Um, you know, I'd find my mom passed out. Um, I felt like the mother and trying to keep things together. Um, you know, I prayed a lot. I cried a lot. Um, I asked God, to, could you please just take this ugliness, you know, out of my life? And um, so that, you know, this was going on for several years. And, um, you know, God came to me or Jesus came to me in a dream and said not to worry. You know, he'll protect me. This is That's when you're a kid. You've had that that experience or in, as a teenager? Yeah, teenager, yeah. Did you have friends that you could talk to, that you could share 
these at least feelings uh, with that were maybe going through the same thing because they were I was afraid. No, no, I was afraid. I was afraid. Um, I had actually um, joined basketball. I loved basketball, and um, my stepfather thought that I was fooling around, you know, that I was doing something that I shouldn't be doing, and I was playing basketball. And I remember my coach saying, I'll talk to your dad. I'll, you know, I'll talk to him and tell him, you know, what you're doing. And I said, no, I was afraid of him. I was, you know, horrified. Um, so I just said, no, I'll just quit. I'll just quit. I'll just, just to try to make the family, you know, um, I didn't want to make any waves. So, yeah. I just, it was easier just to quit. Just to quit. Just to quit. Just to make my parents happy, you know, do whatever it, I had to do. So when you were at school and interacting with other students, whether they were friends or not, did you have some sort of a, like a facade that you had created for yourself? That I think I did. I, I, I was, I would say I was kind of a loner. Um, I, I just wanted to get through school. I just wanted to finish. Um, I started working. Um, at the, uh, the middle school in the summer. I was 15 and a half. Um, I just tried to take as many typing business classes as I could, and I thought this is not the kind of life that I want for myself. What do you think? This is interesting to me because I think there are, there are so many people who have difficult childhoods that... Um, you know, it's like they either choose one path or the other. They they go along the path of giving up on everything, and they end up in the same place that their parents did, or they go a different route like you did, where you said, "I'm I'm going to get out of this. There will be an end to this. I'm going to take business classes. I'm going to take typing classes. I'm going to put myself in a position to get out of this." What do you think it was in you? that made you choose that route rather than the other route? I just think that um, I saw what, you know, living through my mom and what she went through, I just told myself, I will never allow anyone to put me through what she had been through. Because it was, you know, it was painful. It was just and I had to, I told myself, I'm going to be strong, and and with God by my side, and I always felt that he was there for me, and I'm so glad that she at least gave me, um, you know, him um, to turn to, even though she was in this whirlwind of, of a mess. Um, so, so even though your mom wasn't truly a mom to you in... in a lot of ways you loved her and and absolutely yeah yeah I, I did I and I just thought you know my mom is human and she's weak and she was needy and she needed someone to you know I don't know she just needed someone <laughs> um, and I I just I just saw what what she went through, and I just told myself, until I find a man that is going to treat me with respect, and you know, who's going to love me and be respectful of me, um, I'd rather be alone, mm. you know, than than to go through what she went through. So, take us, take us. Um, your story I love because it's like you continually overcome these obstacles, right? So you have them in as a child. You have this huge challenge with stepdad, alcoholic mom as a teenager that's required to responsibly care for your siblings, your household, um, and you've always got like it, behind it all this this hope and this sense of like there's a good there's something good for me, right? Like a good future. Um, tell us a little bit about like what happens next, just in terms of uh, your work, even, and how God used some of those experiences to kind of set you up 
for um, for for things that that you experience later. What happens after you kind of you move out? Well, after yeah, I um, yeah, I um, I applied for a position with an aerospace company um, here in San Bernardino and I was probably 19 or 20 and I just thought okay I've got these skills um, I'm gonna go in there and I, you know I think about it now and I think I was just really brave and I was fearless and I thought I'm gonna go in there and I'm gonna you know apply for this position and um, they hired me and they you know I, I basically grew up with this company, um, met some wonderful people. Um, I, you know, who just um, who just made me feel like I was. Um, I don't know that that I had meaning, you know, and that I was more than what, you know, my stepfather had said about me, or you know. Um, just kind of grew up there and worked there for about 15 years. Um, had a great, you know, great career there. Um, and from there, um, I met my husband, and um, we dated for three years, and married. And um, I found, I found, you know, the love of my life, and. Um, you know, with prayer, of course, I, you know, I did, before that, I, I really wasn't sure where I, I was alone, you know, I was, uh, lit, had my own apartment before I met him, I had a car, and I was like, wow, you know, I'm doing okay, hmm. and uh, there was something missing, and, um, and I thought, Lord, you know, I, she would be nice to find a, a good man, you know, and um, he brought me John, and, um, so now we've been we've been married 21 years, going on 22 in November. So I feel very blessed. Um, you know, it's it hasn't been easy, but um, you know, there's no such thing as um, perfect. <laughs> Did you feel like you were, when you look back at that, and and maybe thinking about how you felt then in your teenage years, early 20s? Did you feel like you were a victim of life in any way? Did you look at yourself no. in that way? No, I don't think I ever did. I, I, I didn't know. No, not really. I, I don't think I ever did. I just needed to, to move on. I just needed to, to just keep going forward See, and, I not, just... and try not to dwell on, on it. You know, yeah, the hurt's there. The you know, the father and my mom at the beginning, you know, my real father actually, um, you know, never got a card, never got mail, never, got, and, th and that hurts, you know, and probably to this day, you know, that'll always, it's like, wow, you know, how does, how does a father not, you know, stay in touch with, with his kids, and well, one uh, of, one of that the hurts, things, you know. One of the things I heard you say uh, earlier I don't remember if it was in the in the group or in a, in a conversation with you, but you um, you said you know a lot of people go through things, and and we're just kind of this is just the tip of the iceberg of some of what you you've gone through. So I want to keep going because there's some. I mean, you've gone through a, a tremendous amount, but you know you said uh, a lot of people ask the question, "Why me? Why me?" And you said your question was always, um, "Why not me?" And I thought that was a really that's a really interesting perspective to kind of carry through difficulty and um, that's yeah. huge that's that's huge I think just having that perspective yeah, yeah. so you and John um, you guys are married for a while you have uh, some uh, you you start talking about hey let's let's have a let's have a family um, mm -hmm. take us take us through kind of that journey. Um, and some of the, the, the challenges and, and um, joys of that as well. Well, um, 1997, um, I had, um, I uh, had Savannah, April 9th, and um, I, before I went into the hospital, I um, went to see my doctor, because two weeks prior, I, 
you know, I was, or a week before I was bleeding and um, after a checkup. And um, I kept calling the doctor and saying, is this normal? And they're saying, yeah, that's, you know, it's normal after a checkup. And we didn't fill the head, but if you go into labor, just, you know, um, go to the emergency room. So I said, okay. Um, so the day of, uh, the day that Savannah was due, um, the doctor said, you know, you need to have um, an ultrasound. And so you need to come in. And I said, okay. And um, she had never taken a, a ultrasound before, said, you know, it, I wasn't high risk and, you know, there was no reason for it. So we went ahead and did the, um, the ultrasound. Well, the baby was, Savannah was frank breech, plus I had um, placenta privia. And uh, she said, you need to go to the hospital right away. We need to do an emergency C-section. So I was kind of open. Okay, I was nervous and I I didn't know what to think. So I got my things and called my husband and went straight to the hospital. They did an emergency C-section. Savannah was very floppy. She um, didn't have any, you know, she had weak muscle tone. She um, wasn't sucking. Um, you know, they had to keep her in uh, probably for an extra four days. I, I had to go home after maybe three. Um, so I thought, wow, you know, and, and the doctors just kept telling me, you know, well, she'll catch up, you know, she'll catch up. So I thought, okay, you know, and uh, so we went through that. We went home without a baby and go see her, and, um, and my thing was, well, okay, you know, let's bring her home, and the doctors say she's going to catch up, she's going to catch up. Um, so... Uh, let's see, so she never really, you know, she wasn't making the milestones that, that most babies do, and I noticed that, and I thought, well, I'll just continue to work with her, and I don't know why, I don't know if it was, you know, I hear that she had something called coposophily, where her brain didn't develop um, correctly um, while I was carrying her, or, you know, I don't know if it was she was lacking oxygen, I'll never know, you know. Um, that bothered me a lot for a little while. Um, so um, I thought, you know, this is how she is. This is how I'm going to accept her. And I'm just going to do the best that I can do for her. And um, so when she was about three and a half years old, she ended up having a seizure that lasted 30 minutes. And uh, I was terrified. I, I had just come back from Bed Bath and & Beyond, and, and, you know, my sister said, you need to come look at Savannah. And, and, you know, I put her down for a nap, and I look in there, and she's foaming at the mouth, and she wasn't responding to me. So I um, picked her up. I yelled for John. We ran to Redlands Community, and um, she started convulsing She for about 30 minutes, and then they had to transport her to Loma Linda. And... Um, so that was that was pretty devastating. That um, so stayed by her side for you know several days. They put her on medication, and um, the next few years were really tough. You know, I felt like I lost my child. Um, she was medicated. Um, some days she wasn't responsive, other days she'd throw herself on the floor, and, and I remember some days um, holding the door to her room because she was just so out of control, and um, it was really hard, really hard to see your child like this, so we went back and forth with um different medications, and, um, you know, the teachers would say that, uh, you know, she has ADD, or she has, you know, this or that, you know, they didn't really know what to do. Um, this but, was when she was how old? Oh, she was probably around four, four, you know, she started the medication about three and a half, 
and it was phenobarbital, which, which is a really strong medication. Um, we tried several things, and I just remember her being stone-faced and just sitting on the couch. You know, just I'm like, this isn't Savannah. This isn't my Savannah. So um, <clears throat> it was pretty difficult. You know, it's pretty difficult on me and my husband. And it was really t it was a tough time, you know. And um, but we got through it. You know, we got through it with um, prayer. And um, I, you know, we we kind of stabilized her. Where we're like, okay, you know, she's she's starting to grow. She started school. Um, I took her out of a the school district when she was in about fourth grade and um, things were you know they 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 just didn't have the staff for our kids and um, I just I went over to Redlands Christian and she was in fourth grade the beginning of fourth grade and I had to pull her from the district I said I'm sorry I can't do this anymore I'm you know volunteering and 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 the kids are just all of them are just out of control this is no place for a child and um, you know the district really just kind of said well you know where's your fingerprint how come you're not fingerprinted if you're volunteering and I'm like I'm trying to help you I'm trying to help these kids and so I felt like I abandoned the kids um, when I took Savannah out but I had to do that I had to just you know do whatever I had to do for her um, so I, I did and um, I left her with my in-laws and I went I heard that Redlands Christian had a, a special education program. They had just started like a year or two prior. And um, I went in tears and I said, Mr. Leinster, I don't know what I don't know where to turn. You know? Do you have a place for Savannah? And he gave me a hug and he said, Let me see what I can do. So I said, okay, you know, and um, a few days later I heard back and said, we have a place for Savannah. Mm -hmm. And um, she's been with Redlands Christian and ACA now since the fourth grade, so that's eight years that she's been with the school. Mm -hmm. and, um, what a blessing, you know. So, and man, I, uh, yeah, as a dad of uh, a couple girls, Lenny and I both have, you know, three daughters that are seven, five, two, three, whatever, in that in that zone. And uh, to watch your your kids go through something like that, uh, what an amazing challenge and a terrible challenge. But um, I one of the things I love that you you talked about is how you there was a something that kind of happened, I don't know how many years earlier, where you even felt kind of prepared. Um, can you share what, what that was, what that looked like, and how that kind of yeah, prepped well, you a little bit? Yeah, before, um, before I even worked for the company, um, the aerospace company that I worked for, um, I, I worked for the mentally and physically disabled in Loma Linda. I was probably 19 years old. 18 and I bathed and I dressed and I fed and I spent many hours taking care of five adults you know sometimes three men two uh, two women it just varied um, and it was a very rewarding and wonderful time in my life um, they were such a joy to me you know some were unable to speak but I could feel feel the love um, just through their eyes and um, and they were a blessing to me. So I feel like God was preparing me. Um, you know, not that Savannah is as severe as some of these, um, some of the people that I worked with, but I, I really believe that he was preparing me, you know, for what was to come later on in my life. Yeah, I love that part of your story. And uh, so I, I was actually teaching um, like a class. I don't even know if you can call it teaching, um, but I was leading a class at Redlands Christian School a couple times a week and got a chance to kind of see Savannah in that environment before you guys were a part of the river. And I just uh, loved, she, she was just a, a tremendous 
yeah, gift and joy. And you described her the other day in a way that um, I'd love for you to maybe kind of elaborate on. You said, uh, you know, she has kind of taught you some things about um, what it means to, to, to be human, what it means to even kind of walk with, with God. Can you, you go into that a little bit and just what has she kind of taught you um, as a mom? How has wow. she changed you? How has she shaped you? Or, or well, she's, she's definitely has humbled me. Um, when I look at Savannah, I feel like, you know, I'm looking at God through Savannah. And, um, you know, I, I feel like he's here with me always. Um, she's made me see life, um, what life is truly about. And, and, and it's about faith and love and hope and, and respect and friendships and serving others and most of all praying and giving thanks. Um, no matter how life can seem, um, she's definitely made me a better person. And... Um, you know, you know, I just never give up. And there are days when we're all tired, you know, we're just tired and just um, not just me because I have a special needs child or I have kids, but we, we all get tired. But tomorrow's always, you know, it's a new day and, and, and God is always with us. And so she's, um, she's my sunshine. She's, um, you know, she's, she's just everything to us. And so is Sam. <laughs> what do you mean when you say you see you're looking at God through Savannah? What can you? Be because she's just so, she's just so happy. She's just so loving, and she's so caring. And she, she comes home and she says, "Mommy, you know, I want to pray for, you know, a few of her friends. Can we stop and pray? Can we, you know?" She, Constantly thinking of her friends. Um, she doesn't have a, a, a mean bone in her body. I mm. think what a gift she's been. Mm. Us. I love. I lo you described her one time. You said, um, "When I look at her, it's like I'm I'm looking at pure love. Like just there's a purity and a level of just like innocence and um, yeah. I thought that was really beautiful too." Cool. So, Sam, you mentioned Sam. Um, the kind of the journey wasn't over uh, after with Savannah, and and I kind of want to close maybe with with you just encouraging you to share with some families at the river who maybe have kids with special needs and um, others out there. But for now, I, I want to just kind of get at like what happens after Savannah because. You're not you're not done there, and there's a, a some other significant challenges that that you face. Um, can you share a little bit about that? Well, a couple years after Savannah, maybe two or three years, you know, we tried to have another child, and um, I ended up having an ectopic pregnancy, and so I bled internally, and I lost a fallopian tube, and um, so, you know, that, that was pretty emotional. That was, um, then a couple years later, I had another ectopic pregnancy and um, it's on the same fallopian tube. I guess they left a little bit of a tube in there. Um, so I lost a second child. Um, so that, you know, is a very difficult you know, I have a child with a disability. I've had two ectopic pregnancies and uh, came home empty-handed. You know, you go through the surgeries and it's like having a C-section. And um, so I prayed a lot and I cried a lot. And um, I just, he gave me, God gave me the strength to just continue to move on and move forward. Um, I, can, I, can I just ask, I don't know what an ectopic pregnancy is. Well, it's it's when the um, the egg is implanted into the fallopian tube, and it's supposed or? to come down right, and it never did. So it continued to grow in my fallopian tube, and my fallopian tube burst, and um, I was bleeding internally, and uh, lost a lot of blood, 
and that and, happened twice. And that happened twice. Okay. Okay. And um, I was told that I should go ahead and have a hysterectomy. And um, because having a child with a disability, having two ectopic pregnancies, my chi my chances of having a healthy child were very slim, especially if it was a boy, he probably wouldn't survive. And uh, why, especially if he was a boy? I don't know. I don't. I have I have no idea why why he said that to me. So you were told, no more kids for you. Stop trying. Basically, no more kids. He scheduled a hysterectomy for me, for me at that time. What was and going through I, your mind at that time? Excuse me. What was going through your mind? Oh my! I was like, you know, I have this dark cloud above my head. What's going on? You know, I just thought, I, I, I just couldn't believe that that this was happening. And um, everybody, you know, my family members said, you know, Yvonne, you could have died twice and you know, maybe you should just have the hysterectomy, but for some reason I was determined and I, I did get a second opinion and she says, you know, there's no reason why you, you can't try to have another child. Um, so let's see, you know, so uh, a few months later I was pregnant and um, I was pregnant with Sam and um, I, I named him Sam only because of the Bible and, and you know John and I were look, reading the Bible and what are we going to name him, what are we going to name him and you know in the Bible Hannah prayed for us you know prayed for a child and, and, and the Lord gave her a son and she named him Samuel so um, I thought perfect you know that's what we'll name him and he came two weeks early and he was nine pounds four ounces so um, what a blessing. <laughs> you must have been frightened that entire pregnancy. I wasn't. I no? wasn't. I don't know why, but I wasn't. I, I wasn't. I wasn't afraid. Huh. Yeah. Mark would have been. I would have been. <laughs> definitely. I think, and I think you would have had every reason to be afraid. Mm -hmm. um, so there must have been something moving in your heart, in your mind, in your life, that was giving you that that calm, that peace, or the confidence. Um, yeah, so. I think so. Yeah, you you again like uh, the the overcoming of these these obstacles, challenges, uh, trials, whatever you want to call them. Like it's like you've got. A bag of challenges and trials that just—I mean—it just doesn't quit, and uh, it's not done after Sam, right? Um, so, 2012, and you shared this in our uh, membership group, and uh, I mean, I—I couldn't—I just couldn't believe it. It's like a movie that you're watching. You're like, no, 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 but um. Share a little bit about about what kind of you walked through in in 2012, and um, yeah, what what maybe even you learned through some of that, what you so, experienced there. So um, in 2011, the end of 2011, um, I went in for a mammogram, and um, you know my doctor was just kind of suspicious about some things, and. Um, Anyway, you know, they didn't really find anything, so I'm like, great, just come in, just come back in three months, you know, we just want to check again and, and, you know, just to be on the safe side. So I went back in 2012, uh, February, and um, they found, after doing a um, mammogram uh, ultrasound, um, they found that I had cancer. And it was very small, um, but the shock of hearing that you have breast cancer was, I felt like I was having a dream, um, especially after waiting for two hours in the doctor's office, waiting to hear that you're diagnosed with breast cancer. And, um, I knew, I, I just knew, I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, something's wrong, something's not, you know. So, yeah, it was it was shocking. and, and I couldn't believe what I was hearing. Um, I, I hear the doctor talking, but I 
I can't hear anything but cancer. I thought of my kids, my husband. And um, you know, and I had a cousin who passed away from breast cancer, and her sister also had breast cancer, but she, you know, overcame it, thank God. And, um, I just thought, okay, you know, we have some decisions to make. Um, she gave us a decision to have a lumpectomy or a mastectomy, and um, you know, it, it what didn't take us too long to decide. I'm going to have a double mastectomy. I'm going to just get rid of them both. I mean, why wait? I was, I have, you know, young kids and, and a husband, and I just, I can't, you know, go every three months to, to be checked to see if it's gone to the other one or if it's, you know, spread or it's just like, take them, you know. So we decided on the mastectomy, um, the double. And uh, so I had that done in April of 2012. I had the reconstruction um, in October of the same year. And then um, I decided, um, because early on, I think even before Savannah, I had pre-cervical cancer. And um, I decided, you know what, just take it all, you know. So I ended up having a full hysterectomy all in that same year. Um, gosh, you know. The, the support of family and friends, you know, that came to help. They prayed for me. My husband would wake up, you know, every two hours to give me my meds. And it was just, you know, it made it, it made it easy. It made it, like, the support was just like, oh, my gosh, you know, this is just awesome. And I could just feel the prayers and... I felt peace. I felt a peace. And I thought, I'm going to get through this. And, and I just, you know, there were moments when I thought, Lord, you know, if I don't before, you know, it's up to you. I'm going to do my part. And if you want me here, I'm going to be, you know, I'd like to stay. But um, my kids need me. And um, so I got through it, you know, and... Um, and I feel very blessed. I'm very blessed that I have the support that I have and the faith that I have. Does it make you wonder how how people get through that kind of an event without a community <laughs> with, around them, without faith in a larger purpose? Yes. yes. I, I just yes. it boggles my mind. How do you get through something like that yeah. without that in your life? I don't know. I, I can't even imagine, um, but, yeah, I don't know how people get through through it without without him. Uh, Yvonne, I have, I have one final question before we start to wrap up, but, um, you know, if you could go back and talk to the 17 or 18-year-old self, the Yvonne, as you were a 17 or 18-year-old, if you could go back and have a 10-minute conversation with that person, what would you tell her? Hmm. Hmm. I would tell her that to be strong and you have your whole life ahead of you and, and you are a good person and you're, um, you're a child of God. And he will get you through whatever whatever difficulties that come your way, and it may, and they make you stronger, and they make you stronger, even though you, you know you may have some some rocky roads ahead of you, and we all do, you know that's that's life. But just hold on to him, and and have conversations with him. And he'll just walk you through life's path. Would you have believed? Would you have believed that as a 17 or 18 year old that these things will make you stronger? You will get through this. You are a good person. Would you have believed that at that time? If someone told me that, I think so. I, I don't think I was really ever told that. I hmm. um, until I was much older, and I think that. 
if someone told me, yeah, I, I would say okay, you know, and I would remember that person. And, um, and I wish I had that person to tell me that, you know, you, you can do it. And, and, and I didn't have anybody, and I, I was afraid to tell anyone. So when I when I hear you say that, it makes me think there are there are 17 and 18 year olds out there right now who are living in those circumstances, wishing somebody would say that to them, and that's that's a call to us. That's a call to the church. That's a call to Christians everywhere. We need to we need to be that person to as many people as we can. Uh, when we see people who are struggling, who are in a in a place in their life where they don't have hope, um, or when they're maybe just holding on barely, that's that's a call to us to be that person who tells Absolutely. them. Absolutely, and I know you know because I was so afraid. I was afraid to talk to anybody because of what my stepfather might do to me, hmm. or you know where was I going to go. You know, I had I had nowhere to go, and um, if I had someone to talk to, you know, and um, maybe talk to the father, I I don't know. You know, kids are put in such a a, a situation where they don't know how to. If they could talk to someone, though, if they could open up, I mean, you know. And I wish I did. I wish I, I wish I did. I think your um, constant profession and confession in this whole thing that uh, you know there's there's hope, and that you know, like Mark said at the very beginning, you never kind of took on this. I don't know, and I. You never took on this victim mentality, um, but you were through that, you know, hope-filled and hopeful. And I think for um, God has kind of uniquely prepared you to be able to speak that message into other people's life. Um, and I think when we heard, when I heard your story, I just thought, I, you know, I, I know that I would not have had that same perspective or, or I just I don't think I would have been able to have that same perspective I know I would have definitely had to rely on the people around me but I think for you you you've been uniquely you know equipped at some level to, to share that message with people who are walking through I mean just a myriad of challenges and um, you know to speak that hope to speak uh, life into them um, to encourage to um, you know just to be a friend on that on that journey uh, through those challenging things. I mean, you know what the the sleepless nights and the medications and the not knowing and the fear of surgery and I mean, there are so many people that uh, you can connect and relate to because of those experiences. And I I feel really um, just blessed as a community that we get a chance to uh, learn from you and um, and, and to, to walk with you as, um, you know, God continues to open up doors uh, for you to, um, you know, bless and minister and, and encourage other people in those, in those places. Um, so I'm, I'm just really excited about that for you and for your family um, and how he's going to keep uh, sharing, you know, sharing the love through you. And, um, yeah, I, I guess my kind of final question would just be, um, as you kind of look at our church, one of the things that um, somebody recently said was um, that it seems like there's a number of families with students with special needs that are um, being, they're part, part of a youth group, a number of families that are, um, have students in a part of youth ministry or children's ministry. And, and uh, just kind of curious what, what you would say, maybe two, two sides, one, two, um, our church community and uh, like the broader community and maybe specifically to families considering being a part of uh, a church. Uh, they have students with, with special needs and they're considering being a part of a church. 
Well, <clears throat> um, Sam, you know, Sam had asked me a while back about, you know, attending the river and and um, and I I was kind of like I don't know, you know, but um, we could visit and and we did go and and um, really enjoyed it and um, he's in youth group now and um, we were sitting with uh, Mr. Whit Whitley and. Um, at one of Sam's basketball games and said, hey, Savannah, you know, uh, are you going to youth group tonight? And she looked over at me and um, and I said, is there a place for Savannah, you know? And, and he said, he picked up the phone and he called you. <laughs> and you said, sure, there's, there's a place for, for Savannah. And... Um, she goes on Wednesdays, you know, to youth group, and she's just loving it. And um, I just feel very blessed. I feel like, um, you know, I feel like, you know, we we're in a really great community of people who really care about my kids. And um, I feel like I'm at home. You know, I feel like I'm home. And it just. Um, I feel whole, you know. I mean, I'm. Uh, I feel home, of course, with my family, but I found another home, you know, where my kids are happy, and they're thriving, and they're learning, and they're surrounded by such wonderful, wonderful people, you know. And um, I, what a blessing! What a blessing, you know. I I think of that um, that youth group experience with Savannah there, and, and I think of, um, you know, we've talked about in somebody's sermon, Nick, I don't know if it was yours or if it was Scott's, but uh, asking the question, what will the kingdom of God look like? What will heaven look like? And it will not be filled with people who are, are exactly like me. <laughs> you know, So when we think of what does the kingdom look like, it's going to be filled with people who are so different than me in thousands of different ways. Uh, and we hope so. <laughs> I have one Savannah story. Um, it was, uh, you know, Savannah is a cheerleader. So, uh, and my daughter is an aspiring cheerleader. My, she was then six, I believe. So in the football season, they're brilliant people uh, over at the schools where they have these cheerleader camps where they bring the first graders over to be cheerleaders with all the varsity football team cheerleaders, and uh, that's a good way to fill the stands with parents who otherwise might not go to a varsity football game for another 10 years. You, you're, uh, you see the world through the lens of a marketer. Yes, yes, I do. It's, it's great. I wish I would have thought of it myself when I was there. But I got there, and Savannah ran up to me and told me like 18 things about my daughter and how she was doing this cheerleading thing in that camp. I helped her with this, and she's great at this, and she's got to work on this thing. But so, Savannah, who I've never had a conversation with, really, just she knew me instantly as that's Maddie's dad. I have to tell him all about Maddie, and uh, and so that was my that was that's my Savannah story. She's she's fantastic. She really cares about she cares about people, like you said. It's, it's, she does. All right, um, Nick. I don't know if you have anything, any other thoughts before I roll into the credits here. No, I just want to thank you, Yvonne. I know uh, that this is a, a, a huge step for you, um, and I just, yeah, I want to just ask uh, that uh, you know we we keep having these conversations. Um, th this has been such a big impact on me and your relationship with your family and, and Savannah and um, just you and John, uh, you guys have really had an impact already on, on me and my life. And so I'm just, I'm hoping you're uh, open to, to more of, of this kind of thing. And as, as God opens doors for you to, to walk alongside people, I just, I, I, I'm excited to see what that looks like. And um, yeah, so thank you for, for sharing the love. You're welcome.
Yeah, and that's what this show is uh, is all about. The Love Shared Podcast is uh, sharing stories about how God is moving in our lives. And so uh, so that's our show. Um, thanks for, for joining us tonight if you were listening live. And if you were not, thanks for downloading this episode. You can download more episodes if you go look for us on iTunes. Search for The River Church or just go to theriverCRC.com. That's where you'll find links to the podcast feed, the blog, and a bunch of other good stuff about our church community. We welcome your feedback. If you've got some ideas for the show, we'd love to hear them. We might not do any of them, but we'd love to hear them just the same. Find us in church or send us send an email to theriverCRCblog at gmail.com. That's theriverCRCblog at gmail.com. All right, thanks for joining us tonight. We really uh, appreciate you being here, Yvonne. Thanks, Yvonne. All right, good night, Nick. All right, we'll see you later. See you guys Sunday. Good night, everybody. How beautiful are the feet of the ones who share the good news of God.